risk the truth. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Welcome to the Geek Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kerr. Joining me today, Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. I'm here, and I'm glad to, to be talking about the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, which, if um, I want to bring this up because it tickled me. I saw it on Instagram. I don't know who originated it, but a movie theater posted on their marquee, Robert Pattinson, worst vampire ever, took 14 years to become a bat. And I just howled when I saw that. Because for those who are not aware, because I sent this to a friend and he was like, I don't get it. And I was like, Robert Pattinson was a vampire in Twilight. And he and vampires become bats. But it took him 14 years to become the Batman. I love. I thought it was hilarious. I thought that the Batman was a lot of fun once we got into it, but I did feel like it started a little bit slow. So that's my quick first impression, and we'll dive into it more. Or what was your quick take on Robert Pattinson as the Batman in The Batman? You mean emo Batman? Right, right. That was the other thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, like, is is this Bella's child? Really the child? I mean, I don't know. Um, I, yes, what did you think? I mean, it, it's like literally Pence's <laughs> Bruce Wayne just cranked up the brooding of Edward Cullen at, at to an 11. It I even a twelve. I would go even as far as a twelve. I I think that as Bruce Wayne, it is a very different Bruce Wayne than what we've gotten in previous Batman films. Now, granted, you know the only true you know youngish or starting out Bruce Wayne we've gotten was the was Bruce Wayne from uh, Christian Bale's version from Batman Begins. Right. And so as that barometer, I mean, those two are very, very different. Nice, very, very different. And so what I like about Pattinson's version and take on Bruce Wayne, he's very disconnected from the world. He's very much about my mission is vengeance. It is about trying to clean up Gotham. It is, he's, he is so hyper focused on just that the one mission of being the Batman. He's not seeing the forest for the trees. I mean, which really comes back to bite him as the movie progresses and he learns about sort of the Wayne legacy and how critical and essential like the the name Wayne and Arkham were to the shape of the current version of Gotham City 
And I want to circle back on that a little bit more later. But before we do that, I want to segue with something that you mentioned. His focus was so intent on vengeance that when Alfred, played by Andy Serkis, was talking to him about the importance of having the board meeting and the accounting, he was basically like, fuck money. I don't care about money. If I don't care if I lose it all. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, only a rich, white, entitled boy could be, I don't care about money. And I was so happy later on in the film when Selena, played by Zoe Kravitz, who was phenomenal, she was like, you have to be rich because only a rich person talks about talks like that. And so for me, when that happened later in the movie, I was like, thank you. I'm glad someone addressed it because Alfred is not the person to be able to like reprimand Bruce about his entitled rich guy um, ass, like element. But I was glad that it was addressed. Let's talk a little bit about the character, the main actors in the film. We've already talked about Robert Pattinson and Bruce Wayne. We're going to discuss uh, Zoe Kravitz as Selena more. Um, Jeffrey Wright played James Gordon. Uh, Paul Dano, who I don't think I've seen anything prior, played the Riddler, and I thought that he was fantastic. Um, already mentioned, Andy Circus played Alfred. And surprisingly, Colin Farrell played the Penguin. What was your first take on the the primary cast? Well, you know, I mean, for me, pretty much the one who was literally unrecognizable was Colin Farrell as, quote-unquote, Oz. Right. You know, a.k.a. Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin. Um, which, you, you know, this, for him, I, I'm... <laughs> Again, it's one of these night and day comparisons when I go cast my mind back to when he played Bullseye in the Ben Affleck Daredevil Daredevil. movie, you know, basically 20 years ago. And, you know, how now he's he's this other, you know, noteworthy super uh, heroes nemesis. And, you know, just the difference in terms of acting and what he's bringing to this character. And I think that... As as much of of the Batman is the story of Bruce Wayne's year two being the Batman, I think that this is also the story of Oz as well and his rise through the ranks of the Gotham underworld and so forth in a very different way than what we got in the television series Gotham, which also told a similar type storyline i i I think that um and my understanding is that they're going to be pursuing additional follow-up in a the batman spinoff on hbo max he's getting a limited series well limited series well quote-unquote limited series but you know how these things go Uh, right wasn't the mandalorian supposed to be a limited series at some point i feel like or it was it was not going to be multi-season, if I remember correctly, and then it did so well it became one. Um, yeah. But I have a question about that, because what did you think of the fact that it was Colin Farrell? Because on social media, on Instagram or Twitter, one of the two, I someone put up a meme, and you know how you can fit nine faces in a square on Instagram? So it must have been Instagram. They had nine character actors who could have portrayed the Penguin without needing makeup 
like a full overhaul of makeup. I'm paraphrasing badly, but there was a number of people listed, including Alfred Molina, who was we recently seen in um, as Dr. Otto uh, reprising his role in Dr. Otto in Spider-Man No Way Home. What do you think of the fact that they did that with Colin versus getting more of a character actor who might have more easily fit the role? Well, well, hold on, hold on. So, so, but again, my pushback on this is why is it why 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 don't people consider Colin Farrell a a um a character actor? Wait, I what, mean, it wasn't the character actor part so much as they were listing a number of individuals who weren't do who do not have as beautiful of a face as Colin You could, you could, like, there's people like Alfred Molita, Giamani, whatever, uh, the Oscar winning actor, uh, whose name I just mangled, but there, there were any number of people who were listed who could have played the penguin without having to go into a full makeup overhaul and put on possibly a fat suit. Well, no, no, no. He actually put, I I listened to a podcast, um, in which Matt Reeves, the director of the Batman, uh, spoke. It was a Deadline podcast, and he mentioned when he talked, spoke with Colin Farrell about coming on board this project. He was working on another. Colin Farrell was working on another project, and he had put on some weight for that role. So I'm not sure how much you know you know, this, the fat suit business, you know, was necessary. He could have already been at the necessary weight. So, but just, but just thinking about his Colin Farrell's, you know, road as it were, you know, he's played these kind of characters in a number of films and projects over the decades. Right. And I think that maybe this is, the kind of stretch that he wants. I mean, I I remember first encountering Colin Farrell in a television show, a British television show back in the late 90s. And he was the pretty boy character on that. He's very young and so forth. But you've seen this evolution where he likes these grittier roles. And I think maybe he wants something that challenges him, you know, not only, you know, to, to truly immerse himself in a new character. And, and, and maybe that's the, the experience that he wants right now. And, and as an actor, I, you know, I don't see a problem with that. Um, but I do think that in terms of the type of character that I, the version of Oz that we were getting, he's played similar characters before in other projects. I don't think it's a big stretch, you know, and especially if he's willing to, you know, undergo the, the transformation, especially who doesn't want to eat that like that, right? Yeah, I mean, but, <laughs> but but here's the thing, you know, you've got Christian Bale. He's done the same thing: put on weight, taken off weight for other roles. Uh, Renee Zellweger has done the exact same thing. She's actually done that now for that NBC show, the miniseries that not, she had. Not to get off topic, but is that not the creepiest trailer ever? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I'm gonna. I'm probably not gonna watch it. But I can't watch yeah, it because that trailer just creeps me out. But that but, is a digression. Yeah, yeah. So, so I do have a pushback for those those folks who think. Colin Farrell is quote unquote too pretty to be to, to take on this role. I, you know, 
I wish it was easier to find likes on Instagram like it is on Twitter because I could go back and get the exact verbiage. But I don't want to dig- uh, have us digress too much down into it uh, in terms of like the Nikki, uh, nitpickiness of his, his transformation. But how did you think of his acting um, in the role and what now is apparently going to be a limited series? I think he, he he was phenomenal. I I you know again, it, even though I knew he was in the film, it still there was this adjustment period when I uh, first watched him on screen. I love you know his interactions with Bat with Batman and Jim Gordon, particularly that scene where they were uh, interrogating him, trying to make him confess to say that he was. Uh, the witness and uh, or the the, uh, the stool pigeon or whatever, and he's like he just undercuts their whole argument, you know, by letting them know that they're idiots for not understanding Spanish, and that is hilarious, you know, because we don't get a lot of levity in this film, obviously, given the subject matter, but that was just a really cutting remark by him. No, no, no. I, I thought he was perfect for, for it, and and I'm glad that that there is going to be a spinoff series uh, which he, he can we can learn more about his character. Before we continue, I want to give a spoiler alert. We will be discussing the plot and some of the various dynamics that took place in the film. So if you haven't watched it, uh, I would encourage you to go to the theater and watch it and then pick up at after this point. Um, the basic plot of the film is the Riddler is terrorizing Gotham. There are a whole bunch of clues. We're not exactly sure at first what they pertain to. We're on. We're taking the ride with Bruce as he's trying to figure out what's going on, partly with James. Um, he is very comfortable walking into a crime scene with tons of police around, which is not something that I'm accustomed to seeing depicted um, in television and film as much uh, with Batman. So that was a little bit weird for me. And, but as he's exploring the Riddler's clues, he's also learning more about his family's legacy within Gotham and what may or may not have happened with his father a long time ago when his father ran for mayor. As part of this, he encounters Zoe Kravitz's Selena and, um, she works at a bar. She has a connection to one of the, uh, to Carmine Falcone. And we don't find out what that is real at first, but we do, uh, we are introduced to her because she's a friend of one of the um, people who is killed and, and is one of the, and that person's death is connected to one of the clues that the Riddler has. One of the premises and what I wanted to ask you about and you alluded to it at the very beginning, was Bruce Wayne's parents. So we're, like, I'm very accustomed to Martha Wayne being a cane. So what is the story behind her being, uh, it being Martha Arkham? So there are other um, versions of Batman lore in which she is an Arkham. Um, Jeff Johns, creator of Stargirl, um, co-creator of the the Courtney Whitmore Stargirl, showrunner of the Stargirl series. He wrote a 
series of Batman graphic novels called Earth One. In that context, Martha Wayne is an Arkham, and that and so and that and some of these things about the legacy of being an Arkham is explored in that series. So it's a, it's a three volume series. Um, they may have more at some point, but they they come they they really come out very slowly. But M- Martha Wayne being an Arkham is part of that mythology. So, um, you know, and I think it's a smart move. And my rationale is when you dredge up the canes, of course, you're naturally going to make that connection to Batwoman. And I think, you know, obviously this is a separate universe than the universe of Arrow versus the Bat of Batwoman. Uh, so, you know, by severing that limb, which is, you know, I think is a is a small change, but I think it's also helps in a way to humanize um, Martha and Thomas Wayne, because in most Batman films, you know, they're the sainted individuals. And was it not a relief to not have the opening of the movie be about pearls falling in an alley? (laughs) Ah, the pearls. Yes, I I think I like the fact, yeah, because it's a very smart move, like like they did with, um, with, with, uh, with with uh with the first uh Spider-Man Homecoming where we didn't see you know the Uncle Ben dying that type of thing we just went to the he was Spider-Man we just you know and get kept it moving at this point you know we know the story we know and they allude to it we get enough context clues about what happened to his parents that we don't need to actually see that moment we just got that moment what Five, six years ago? I mean, like, they did it recently, so we don't need to do it again. Um, so, but I I do appreciate... Yeah, and, and the only real other film that really talked about the possibility of, of, you know, Thomas and Martha Wayne being less than sainted was the Joker film, um, which, you know, has, in terms of of the type of film, film noir type of thing you're going for. Um, the very influenced by these seventies, seventies gritty films and so forth. I can see why they wanted to, you know, dirty up, not necessarily dirty up, but make sure that the Waynes, you know, are part of the institutions that is corrupting Gotham. I think, Uh, From my perspective, I was like, oh, this is wonderful because, first of all, we're not quite getting the same thing that we've seen in many of the previous ones, in the previous Batman movies, or even necessarily on some of the TV shows that we get. I mean, I was just watching Pennyworth, and I mean, Martha Wayne is, at that point, Martha Kane. And so, uh, so much of the connection between the Arrowverse and then Pennyworth, which was on, is now on HBO Max. I'm not sure what network it was on before. I don't remember. But so much of the Martha Kane mythology is set aside. And I'm like, oh, this is a nice fresh take. We're not getting their death at the beginning. We're getting a different backstory on on her history. I like the idea of finding out a little bit more about her being mentally challenged. Um, I thought those pieces all played really well into the larger plot, which is a Bruce finds out that his father or that 
his father had been pursued by a reporter who had uncovered information about Martha's having mental breakdowns and Bruce uh, or and Thomas wanted to protect Martha from being exposed and so he tried or he went to Falcone to ask for help and Falcone went further but we don't find out that he went further until later on so initially or for a very long time Bruce is questioning the pedestal that he's placed his parents on what did you think of how that played out you know that that actually has that 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 notion of the connection between the waynes and falcone you know i've encountered that before in in other batman right um, it's definitely been it's definitely been there but i i thought that the the reporter the arkham uh and the mental breakdown i thought all of that was very well done as no, no, leading to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, de- I definitely like how it was played. It To me, it felt like a very natural, a very human um, emotion. You know, as Alfred said, like, um, this, you know, and, and this is something that comes up, you know, in, in the context of our world all the time. Family member has some sort of secret, you know, and, and, and probably maybe... You know, most people would probably just brush it aside, but they feel like, you know, especially those in power and money, you know, they need to hush it up. So they go to to some links to do that. And in this case, you know, because, you know, Falcone had been in, was indebted to, to Thomas Wayne, Thomas Wayne cashed it in, cashed in this favor, but Falcone took it too far, probably knowing he could leverage it Later on, obviously, you know, he knew he could leverage it later on, as Alfred said, you know, it's like, oh, well, he he, he would, you know, if Thomas Wayne became mayor, then Falco had something on the mayor that he could use to squeeze him. But I think that, did you catch the, the, um, the name of the reporter? His last name was no. Elliot. Okay, so you, the character Hush, the Batman villain Hush... You know, yep. Tommy Elliott, who has showed up in, in Batwoman. You know, it's, it's very interesting, you know, that they use the last name Elliot. I'm very curious about, you know, possibly in the next film, could they play it? That's a thread that they could pull. You know, maybe there's a Tommy Elliott um, who harbors resentment towards the Waynes because of this. So, but anyway... I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but I just wanted to point that out. That was just something that was an interesting little Easter egg I found in the film. Um, but I, 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 I do really like that, you know, this notion of um, mixing in these sort of contemporary issues that we're talking about with these institutions that are, you know, keeping, you know, different groups uh, of color and socioeconomic, you know, down and the rich continuing to, you know, hold these levels, le- excuse me, le- levers of power and, and manipulate these levers. I, I think that there's this whole, you know, uh, underbelly of just societal commentary within the within a Batman film of, of, of all things that that's really there. And that has been brought up by the mayoral candidate, the um, the the uh, yeah, the other mayoral candidate. It's it just it's just really refreshing. 
Uh, the other mayoral candidate is Jamie Lawson, um, who portrayed Bella Rial. She is running for mayor. The other mayoral candidate is taken out by the Riddler. I wanted to circle back to the Riddler for a second because one of the plot lines that we find out is that when Thomas was running for mayor, one of the things that he was saying that, or one of the things that he promised was to set up an endowment called the Renewal Project or Renewal to help the poor and needy in Gotham get a a leg up. And it turns out that the Riddler was one of the children at the orphanage that the that the renewal that renewal was supposed to help. But it turns out that after Thomas's like it turns out that Thomas set up the Renewal Foundation, but then it and then was killed afterwards. So after his death, the Renewal Foundation basically became a slush fund for all the politicians and the criminals of Gotham to be able to clean money, pass money back and forth, and it never delivered on the promise. And so that is part of the motivation for the Riddler because he is someone who has had broken prom, like who's experienced the broken promise of renewal and attributes that to the Wayne family. What did you think of how that played out? I thought that it was a good commentary on society. Um, but it was one of those things that I didn't think about it so much right away when I was watching the movie. It was more of after the fact. I was like, um, if you think about what's happened in Flint and you think about what's happened in other cities where the the public, whether that's the mayor, the city council, whomever, has not followed through on their promises and so many people end up being hurt. I was like, boy, that's that's some stinging commentary. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's this is one of the things that I think will help set the Batman apart from other films with the character because it does have, you know, these these nuggets of commentary that will sit with you because it does you know, talk about these current political and societal issues about the failure of government. I mean, that's that's basically what does it, you know, the failure of government, government is can be corrupted. Those in power can manipulate it and use it for their ends. And so what do the people do? You know, and in the case of the Riddler and his acolytes, you know, who show up at the end, it, it's like they want to strike back and take what is theirs, what they feel like they are owed. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, you, there's so many levels to this film. And it's interesting that I think that if in Batman Begins, you know, you kind of had the similar type of, not not to the extreme in terms of, to, of society, but, you know, Bruce Wayne, and he actually dealt with it, the Christian Bale version of, of Bruce Wayne dealt with, you know, there was corruption within Wayne Industries, and that the criminal element had 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 seeded into Wayne Industries and was using it to wash their money and so forth. And you know, of course, you know, Bruce Wayne being Bruce Wayne, it, you know, walks in there and just kind of, you know, eventually, you know, the Christian Bale version deals with it. But in this version, the Robert Pattinson, you know, he's not one. It literally takes the whole movie before he comes to this realization that his his the, the that fact he's a that spoiled he's, rich boy he's a spoiled rich boy but the fact that he didn't he didn't act he didn't show any care about 
you know, his legacy, what his family had created and set up, had he, you know, taken an interest, maybe it could have stopped some of this. I mean, or headed off at the pass. And the fact, and I like the fact that they make the comparison about, and you brought this up too. It's like, well, you know, ooh, Bruce Wayne, here's this, who's this orphan who everyone, this rich orphan, everyone just wraps their hands around and feels sorry for. Right. But then you got the Riddler, you got Selena Kyle, who also orphans as well. And like, no one cared about them. I mean, because they were well, poor. It's- it's, well, it's also sort of a parallel to what we see in the news where when a white child goes missing, there are is much more publicity than when a brown or black child goes missing. The publicity is not often oftentimes it is not as pervasive as if if a wild uh, if a white child goes missing. There's two things that two more things that I want to talk about before we wrap this up. First of all, um, anybody who's listened to any of my podcasts know I am uh, I love a good ship. So, what did you think of Bruce and Selena? Because for me, first of all, this is my favorite Catwoman, uh, bar none, and I thought that the chemistry that those two had was phenomenal i am there for it she is now my Catwoman. i need her to be in every batman movie going forward i was like how can we work it out so that at some point she can have bruce wayne's child i am on board for these these two as a long-term end game couple so what did you think of bruce and selena you mean bat cat I'm I'm here for Batcat, as we like to call him in the comics, because uh, literally there is a Batman Catwoman comic about their and relationship. Let me tell you, the wedding, the the wedding. Mm. Well, go ahead. Uh, well, you you know, fans still up in arms. That's a few years ago, and fans are still know. up in arms about that that business. But but you know, know these the these two these two Pattinson and, and Kravis got that heat boy so I'm looking forward to it you know and if they make a, a Helena Wayne you know I'm 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 all right with that um so but yeah I I definitely like the fact that very much you know this is the story of Batman year two but the feeling you know it kind of reminds me of uh Batman year one. The, the the comic miniseries uh, the comics uh, the storyline um, just it, it, if if you want if you walk out of the theaters and you want to you know kind of get there there's plenty of plenty of book really good comics um, to look at uh, if you want to see more of the uh, Bruce and Selena relationship but yeah definitely think they got the heat I'm not gonna say that Zoe Kravitz's Selena Kyle is my favorite Catwoman of of all time. Personally, I you know I gotta go with Eartha Kitt. I um, but but certainly, um, Miss Miss Kravitz is it, is it, just phenomenal. I honestly, you know, I would really hope that that perhaps you know they talk about these HBO Max spinoff projects. Maybe there'd be a Catwoman one because. Uh, I, there's so much more to explore there, you know, pre the Batman and post post the Batman. She talks about going to Bloodhaven. And, you know, if you're a right. comic fan, you associate Bloodhaven with Nightwing and and all the corruption and stuff going on in Bloodhaven. So, you know, there's a there's a rich tapestry in addition See, to 
Uh, and this is kind of going into spoiler territory. Uh, we already gave a spoiler warning, so go I, ahead. So, so I'm, I was going to mention, you know, her relationship with, uh, you know, the fact that Carmine Falcone is her father. Um, certainly something that's, you know, came, that's come up in, in the Batman mythology um, in a number of places. I think there's there's a lot to explore there as well. Um, it's, it's, it's just, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a lot more of Zoe Kravitz's Selena Kyle. What I also thought was interesting is how they depicted her cowl or her mask. Like when I think about Anne Hathaway's thing and how cheesy those ears were, when I saw, like, it's, in terms of cowls, Halle Berry's cowl, I liked that cowl. I didn't like the rest of her outfit. But what I thought that they did with Zoe's, I thought that it was like, okay, this is something that you can see in sort of a, dis- or you can expect in sort of a dystopian, futuristic were like Gotham where things have gotten so bad that Catwoman who's supposed to be a thief and isn't she still is in this film is just using a piece of uh, like a normal headpiece as opposed to having this really fancy set of ears and the simplicity of it for me made it work um I do want to ask you about another topic as we wrap up so it was announced, it was like, I went into the movie theater, The there was this trailer for the releases of all the movies coming in the DC universe. I went out, the next day it was announced that Warner has rescheduled almost everything. So Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and The Flash are both being pushed back to 2023. Uh, Black Adam is moving up to October of this year. With Warner changing the release dates on there, there's been some speculation as to whether or not the Flash film would be a flashpoint that would bring a bunch of the worlds together. Would you like to see the Batman brought into the world of Aquaman and the Flash and Wonder Woman? Or would you prefer it to be a separate world all its own? And what if, if it is separate, what type of cameos would you like to see in future films from other members of the Justice League. So, um, one, I, I will. I do want to mention that um, Shazam is moving up to this year. Uh, you mentioned Black oh, yeah, I, forgot, I forgot to mention Shazam. Yeah, yeah. Shazam. Thank you. Yeah, Shazam is going to be in December. Uh, but now, to to your point about whether or not I want you know to mix my um, you know in this case the chocolate and the peanut butter, even though it, you know it tastes really good. I don't necessarily. I don't. I do not want the the uh, the Snyder versions because that's essentially what you know that the Flash and and that Aquaman are the Snyder versions mixing with this version of the Batman. I think it it just doesn't work. I think that we are going to get the Michael Keaton Batman in the Flash. Um, you know, and who's to say? You know, there aren't other Batman that could appear in that film, you know, and so so I think there are plenty of other Batman out there that that they can play and have the Flash team up with. I think that the Matt Reeves, the Batman with Robert Pattinson is its own animal. I think that it it is not necessarily about the. How, how should I put it? Like, it's not the it's DC more, extended universe. Well, I was going to say in terms of style, 
like we're talking about a noir Batman here, a Batman that really, you know, embraces the more detective, urban street elements of the character, not necessarily the fantastical elements of Batman. And and I think, you know, you can have really tell really good stories with Batman because he's a very flexible character. You can have your, you know, your Batman the Long Halloweens, your Batman um your year one, your year two, which do play in this kind of more of a um of 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 you know the noir type of setting that we're getting in the Batman. Uh, you know, Pattinson is is uh talked about, you know, what he like he he would want in you know, uh, moving forward in, in this series, the Quarter Owls was what Pattinson's interested in. I could very easily see the Quarter Owls being immersed into and brought into this to the Batman uh, because it so, very much fits in with that. Sorry. I guess, no, no reason to apologize because I was interrupting. How do you want, see this playing out for really important Batman characters like Harley Quinn and the Joker, because we got a tease of the Joker at the end of the of the well, Batman. I, I'm assuming well, that was the Joker. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but no, no, no. Matt Reeves in, in an interview with Deadline, you know, it's, he confirmed that is the Joker, right? Um, or but, or a mean, proto Joker. Not not he, he's a proto Joker. He hasn't fully become the Joker yet. Okay, fair enough. But in a world where DC movie fans love. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and is art and who has become arguably the most popular of the one of the most popular of the DCEU characters in this in this scenario we will never see Margot Robbie in the bat in the Pattinson franchise yeah I just don't think I don't see that I mean I think there is room for a Joker I think there is room for a Harley Quinn but again I think that you know the suicides the 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 James Gunn Snyder versions of you know Joker and Harley they just don't fit into this world they just don't they die they diametrically oppose what we get in here it's too much flash I mean okay. no it, puns intended for <laughs> the flash but but I, I will say in terms of other like Batman elements I think that would work I mentioned the Court of Owls I think that there certainly is a place for a Robin. Interestingly enough, there was a Robin in this film. Uh, the actor, and and, and uh, he's uh, Jay LaCorgo, who plays Tim Drake on the Titans series. He had a cameo in the Batman. He was one of the... Um, he, he was being indoctrinated into a gang at the beginning of, of the film. Um, certainly. So I, I, I think there, there is room in this world for a, a Robin. Final thoughts. Uh, what would you give this rating out of five? How many stars? Oh, uh, easily. I would, I would give it a uh, 4.75 uh, easily. I mean, it is, I mean, I, I, it's a three hour film. I don't feel like, I think that as a three hour film, Again, I agree that like once you get, you know, once you get the first victim and so forth and things get moving uh, and the Batman actually is on screen, things really start to move. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not 
I I do have some issues with the Bruce Wayne Alfred relationship, but that's just maybe it's me being nitpicky. But overall, I think it's a really really good interpret new and fresh interpretation of the Batman, and I think that this film will will stand the test of times. I would also give it a four point seven five. Um, my biggest complaint about the film is at the beginning. I was having the way that Bruce was set up on the motorcycle watching people they, they did not make it very clear as to who was Bruce and who the Riddler was monitoring people like the the mayor and so there was a big chunk of like the first 15 or 20 minutes of the film in which I wasn't sure if the person on the motorcycle was Bruce or if it was the Riddler and I don't know if that was intentional, but from my standpoint, I was like, wait, what's going on here? And that's sort of why I felt like we spent a lot of time like in the opening sequence where there's just someone watching the mayor through a window. And so I felt like it started off slow and then was slightly confusing. But then once they we got about 20, 20, 30 minutes into it, they differentiated and everything became clearer. I was like, that's a little fuzzy, but maybe that was an intentional. On that note, we'd encourage you to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Mo is at Dr. Mo 77 You can comment on this episode on Facebook in our group. All you have to do is click the community link on Geek Confidential. It will take you right there. Uh, join us. We have it currently set as private so people can... Um, so that everything isn't like out in the open, but you can take and log in. We'll approve you and comment on the episode. We'd love to have you join in the discussion. Mo, any final thought? You know, I think that fans who are underestimating Pattinson, you know, you're in for a rude awakening because he kills it. He absolutely kills it. I think that this film should be up for awards during award season because it is not a quote unquote typical superhero film. It is a really good film in and of itself. First in format. I, I absolutely enjoy it. On that note, thank you for listening. Until next time. So long. So long. Don't forget to send up your bat signal.